This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study at Christchurch, where we are wrestling with the last words of Moses, Moses' final uh, commentary on the Torah, his preparation speech as he's preparing the children of Israel to conquer the land, establish themselves as a presence, establish a center of worship, establish a, a faithful um, and believing and active uh, biblically active community, morally um, and, and just uh, in the land. Uh, and his, his final words, which ends up being the longest monologue in the entire Bible, we are up to chapter 12. Um, and, but before we do, we will pray and uh, dedicate this time to the Lord and uh, pray that his presence will be here and that we will enjoy, enjoy being with God as we're going to read that that is one of the things we're, we're meant to do. So, Brother Neville, would you be able to lead us in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to join together and to gather around your word. Father, we pray that you would be amongst us and within us, leading and guiding us. Lord, we pray you'd anoint Aaron with your spirit to, to impart the insights that you've given him. And Father, we pray that it may uh, build us up and draw us to you. And Father, we pray especially that your Holy Spirit would witness to us of the truths you want us to understand. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I'm just going to add a prayer for one of our brothers who likes to attend this uh, study. Uh, Samson Chimshon from Nigeria and the, and the little community in Nigeria uh, that he's a part of. He's uh, had a really nasty little bout of um, food poisoning, chatted to him on, on WhatsApp and said that uh, we'd be thinking of him and praying. So let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, in your love, and in your graciousness, please turn your face towards uh, your son and our brother, and uh, Shimshon, Samson, and his family, and please bless them with healing. Um, please grace them with your presence and, and, and remind them that you are close and that they are in our thoughts and please, Lord, uh, in, your, in your love, please make him strong again so uh, he can uh, provide for his family and join in the study of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So our tradition, we go over what we did last week uh, to remind ourselves and keep us into perspective. Last week, we finished off chapter 11, verses 13 uh, to 32. And so, Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, contains the second portion of the Shema, again encouraging the believer to remain faithful to the faithful king of the universe, to love God with both heart and soul. Should the believer do so, then there is a promise that God will bring rain from heaven to nourish the land. Success and failure rain and the land are interlinked. The future prosperity is dependent on the morality of the Israelites. It is a good thing to be dependent on the Lord. Much of Israel's sacred history is to remember when they were very much dependent on the Lord in the wilderness. 
Dependency is a guard against pride. The blessing of God is success. And the danger of success is the lack of dependency on God. Another danger is always idolatry. The storm god of the Canaanite pantheon was Baal, the Hebrew word for lord, master, owner, and husband. The Canaanites believed Baal brought the rain and calmed the storms. Moses warns against being enticed to pray to the local storm god for provision instead of the king of, the, of heaven. God can and does get angry. God is also slow to anger. Perhaps that is a reason we forget that he actually does indeed get angry. All of these commands, the sacred history and the warnings of God's anger, are to be taught to the future generations. Children need to hear both the blessings and the curses that are attributed to God to maintain a true and accurate perspective of God's character. We are also instructed to discuss and talk about God often. His word is to be a topic of conversation on a daily basis. It becomes a measure of our love for God by how much we talk about him. It's not what goes into our mouths that is important, rather it is what comes out. And what should come out, says Moses, are the words of God. Obedience does not only bring rain, but also military victory. The Lord has promised the land as an inheritance to the patriarchs. Those past promises are now linked to the obedience of the present Israelites. Following the Lord's commands and active love of God will result in the Lord dispossessing the nations currently dwelling in Canaan. And this brings to the surface an interesting tension. We want God to fight our battles, but we don't want to obey him. Moses says God will make the Israelite army a fear and a terror to their enemies. However, this will not absolve them of combat duties. They will still have to fight the bad guys. The prize is a rather large piece of the Middle East. The land described here is not the land that is allotted to the 12 tribes following the conquest of Canaan. So in this portion, uh, the, Moses had described this large section of the Middle East. Yet Israel had never held the territory described in these verses. Which begs the question then, why are these verses here? Perhaps the key verse is actually verse 24 of chapter 11. Wherever you place your feet will be yours. Perhaps Israel does not have this territory because it has not placed its feet there and potentially does not want to. God also says, that no man shall stand against Israel. Yet Dan failed to capture his portion of Canaan. Success is a result of obedience, and failure began almost immediately. A relationship with the God of Israel creates the obligation for obedience. This is true of the past and remains true in the present. God reminds the people that obedience can bring both blessings and curses. 
And these are to be reiterated to the people once they have crossed the Jordan in a ceremony on two mountains, Gerizim and Ibal, located north and south of ancient Shechem. The ceremony with its explanations of the respective blessings and curses is recorded in chapter 27, which we will deal with in the future. Later, the mountain of blessing, Gerizim, became the center of worship for the Samaritans. King Herod constructed a fortress to watch over the Samaritans, long-time antagonists of the Jewish people. And John the Baptist was beheaded at the request of Salome at this fortress. And so that was our little discussion from, from, from last week. And uh, I think um, out of much of what he's been talking about is constantly, please obey the Lord, please obey the Lord, you get these blessings, you get these curses. And then he snuck in uh, this little verse of, of the actual territory allotment that should be given to the Jewish people, and yet they have never, ever possessed such. Uh, and I really do think that the key verse was that verse 24, wherever your feet uh, shall tread, that's, that's what you shall possess. Um, and, it, and, it, and perhaps they haven't had it or don't have it because they've never actually gone there. Um, that doesn't say that's, that's not going to be there in the future, or it doesn't say anything about the desire of Israel. Do they actually want to go there? But that's something we'll discuss when we detail, detail the land yet again. So now let's have a look at uh, chapter 12. Now, it's a reasonably long chapter. So I think what we'll do is uh, we'll read the first 19 verses and see how we go. Is that okay? Great. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 to 19. These are the decrees and the laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles on the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among you, from among all your tribes, and put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, and there Bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. <clears throat> there, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and you shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today. Everyone doing as they see fit. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and you will settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, 
there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings any way you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your, anim your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if they were gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you. Both the ceremonial unclean and the clean may eat it. But you must not eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. You must not eat in your own towns the tithe of your grain, wine and olive oil, or the firstborn of your herds of flocks, or whatever you have vowed to give for your free will offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns. And you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. All right. Well, there's a lot there. Okay. So, on an initial reading, okay, um, is there anything there that jumps out, stands out? Suddenly you go, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Or wasn't that a large chunk of repetition? What struck me was that the way that Moses spelled out uh, all the different kinds of idolatry that they, they're not to practice. He, he doesn't just say all, all these foreign gods just kind of destroyed them and don't, don't go near them. He actually spells out all the different types just yeah. to make it really, really clear. Yeah. And that's it in verses kind of um, two, three, four. Yeah. Two, three, four, yeah. <coughs> For me, when I read this, the, the one word that jumped out to me the most to me in the last week, sorry, sorry, the, the one that jumped out, I think Nama, you need to mute yourself there, um, was rejoice. Okay. So there's a, a lot of sacrifices involved. There's a meeting place with the Lord. There's a coming together. And then there's this command of God to play with your emotions. When you come into my presence, you can have one emotion. What's the emotion you will have? You're going to have joy. Yeah, I want joy, simcha, in, in front of it. Wow, interesting. Part of this relationship with God is going to involve joy. And it's, and it's linked uh, with, a, with a lot of things, generosity, uh, gifts, uh, sacrifices, and the work of your hands, right? What do you give to God in joy? The work of, yes, the work of your hands, the things that you've, you've done. Except that there's a community in modern-day Israel that doesn't seem to do nothing. 
Guess who they are? Anglicans. Yeah. <laughs> yes, those guys. Bunch of lazy fellas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The the Haredi. You like you look at you look at these verses. You go, guys, you study this every year. You can see even the Levites are working. Uh, what are you guys doing? Uh, oh, they'll tell you they're saving Israel through prayer. And, they uh, are. That's what they say. Oh my gosh. Yes. But the the the, the Pashut reading here is is uh, is definitely the work of your hands. And the strong, strong emphasis on joy is really picked up by one particular uh, Haredi group. Does anyone know the name of them? They drive around in the really cool cars, singing and dancing all the time. Nachman. Oh, yeah, Christ yeah, love. <laughs> yeah. They really took the, you must have joy all the time before the Lord to a really high level. Um, and, and they, and they, Yep, that's them, Roddy. And they also use um, a little bit of Mother Nature to help, unfortunately. Um, but they certainly are happy about it. The Hebrew here Roddy. says Mishlach Yad, actually. It's, it's, uh, it should be even all the more clear. It, it means, in essence, your, uh, your, your trade, your trade yes. skill. Correct. And when we get there, mention that again, Arie, because it's very specific, the actual Hebrew. Mishlach Yad, it's uh, the things you work at for a living, what you do to produce things. What you do to produce things, you give to God now. They don't. Uh, so anyway, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. It's a little stickler for a lot of the, the rabbis that I study with who all have jobs. They can't stand um, the Haredi who do, do absolutely nothing um, and then think they're still worshipping the Lord. When I pass them in the street and they're begging, I... The thing that occurs to me is, whatever happened to that command, six days shall you work? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yeah. So, well, yeah, right. yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Bernardo. Bernardo just typed in verses 8 and 13. Do not do as you please or do what is right in your own eyes. And yes, the book of Judges starts exactly that way, right? So you don't do the things that are right in your own eyes. And yet when we get into the land, you end up doing exactly that. Uh, and, and, and Judges starts by saying, this is, this is not right. Something's quite wrong here. And we end up needing a king, which is an interesting thought. Verses 5 and 9, those two stood out. Which five is wherever he puts his name. Yeah. He moved it around. Yes, because when I read this body, I jumped to Jerusalem and then I thought, no, wait, he, there's another place. Yes. And then verse, these are good. There's a lot to say about it. And then verse nine, for me, the word rest. Yeah. And then whether you're talking about Shabbat or the rest of Yeshua, which is a perpetual, everlasting rest, is this the rest that he's talking about? A good subject. It's a great subject. Yes, there's actually, there was a lot there. When, when reading it and having a look and contemplating, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to need about three weeks on these, this stuff. All right, well, let's tackle it and see uh, what we can learn as Moses encourages and speaks. These are verse one. These are the decrees and the laws, the chokim and the mishpatim, that you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. 
So the next couple of chapters, actually quite a, a large chunk of Deuteronomy now, goes into uh, detail these particularly laws and stuff. So you get this long, the beginning of a long section of, of, of explaining these laws. Even though, okay, let's, let's be honest, we have Numbers and we have um, Leviticus. We don't re-quote those. We, we modify them in, in certain ways. And say, these are the laws and the decrees that you must be careful to follow. Where do you have to follow them? In the land. Okay, so what's the obvious question? Why only in the land? What happens if you're not in the land? Do I don't have to do anything? Okay, flesh that out for me, guys. Well, there's one thing that occurred to me last week that's still occurring to me. What does it mean for them to live in the promised land? Okay, great question. It's I mean, it occurred to me last week when I was talking about everywhere the sole of your foot treads. Um, yep. But, I mean, what, I mean, you know, what does it, I don't know that that really means anything to a lot of people today, but, you know, what, did, what does it mean? That, and it talks about when they cross over the Jordan and, and God gives them rest from their enemies. Um, is that like the Sabbath rest that, that God had after he finished the creation? Um, where, where there was, was like total rest until the fall, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what does it mean to live in the promised land? Okay, so let's talk about that. The land of promise, the land that God swore to the patriarchs, okay, is before them. So they're not actually in it. So if, 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 you, if you think just on that, those words, the land of promise, the land that is sworn to your forefathers uh, an inheritance what does that bring up in you if anything the land that it's I'll, I'll say something it's a it's it's prophetic it's a vision of the future it's not something I possess right now so it's I'm standing there listening thinking the Lord's going to give me the promised land. It's, a, it's, a, it's full of hope. It's full of dreams. It's full of visions. It's full of power. It's full of mystery. Um, it's full of all these incredible things because I'm not there yet. And then when I get there, uh, then I actually start to open my eyes and I realize, oh, there's a bunch of big guys here. And uh, it's not as easy as I all thought. And I got to do some fighting. And it's like, um, here, here's something, here, here's a, a scenario. In the modern day, someone wakes up in America and they're going to come to Jerusalem. It's going to be the first time they've come. They know, I'm going to hop on a plane today and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And that mystery and that excitement and that um, power and that majesty is there. Now, um, and, 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 and they're going to have this incredible experience. Now, imagine the guy that's born in Gilo. Now he's Israeli, and he wakes up to go to work in Jerusalem, same place, thinks about it completely different. It's not mysterious to him. It's not full of excitement to him. It's not full of passion and majesty to him. You live here all the time. He has a different feel or relationship to, to the city, even though it's his. 
even though the visitor is only going to come for a couple of weeks and walk around and literally kiss the stones and lick the salt off the walls, okay? But the guy who actually lived here looks at these people and goes, what's so, what's so special about this? Both read the Bible, both know God loves Jerusalem, but there's a different as a mystery. And so I think there's a, there's a, the, the, the calling it the promised land, calling it um, the, the holy land, calling it something brings in this, this level of mystery, this level of excitement, this level of hope, this level of passion that uh, is missing if it's just Israel, if it's just Canaan. Um, so there's something, something to do with that. It's definitely something that they want. I mean, they've been slaves. They've never had their own land before. And here... Uh, they're going to become a nation. So that's also exciting. It's also full of fear and trepidation, and it's full of danger uh, as well as a blessing. But once they're in it, then God says through, through Moses, decrees, laws, you must be careful to follow them in the land. So name some of the laws that we have to follow in the land. Go for it. But first, Aaron, the the problem is the boy that's born and raised in Gilo. Yeah. If he takes on that attitude, then that's the problem. The excitement for a Jerusalemite or Israelite today, in the past and in the future, that excitement should be there each and every day. Yeah. It, it, right. it should be. 24 years, and I think you still feel that way every single day. Yeah. For myself, now I've lived here now, how long have we lived here? 22 years. So 22 years in this, in this city. And yes, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, and walking to work, I, I get off the bus and I take a, the same route always. And I've trained myself that when I get to the bridge that overlooks um, the Gehinom and Jerusalem, yep. I train myself to stop. Right? And, and to look at the walls and to pray, even if it's just a one-sentence prayer. Because if I don't, then these walls just become commonplace. And actually I'm thinking about something else and I've lost the mystery. And, you know, I'm walking into Jaffa Gate. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm walking past King Herod's palace. Right? I'm walking past where Yeshua came out all bloodied and beaten up and they said, behold the man. Like, and, and I'm treating this just like, I need a drink of water, it's a hot day. Um, and you forget. So it's a burden. It's one of those things that we have to live with if we're here in the land to, to, let, to continue to recapture the majesty and the enticement that God says is this place, right? You know, this is that apple of, of uh, my eye. Okay, so, but going to the, uh, the idea of following these laws in the land. Okay, that's a very interesting thing that, that um, God's going to, that is, is mentioning here. Name a couple of laws. Okay. Anyone? I don't know. One of the Ten Commandments, um, you shall worship sure. the Lord your God, him and him only. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly how it goes. But. Yeah. Now, of course, if you worship the Lord your God and you love him only, can you do that outside the land of Israel? 
Yes. Of course you can. Okay. So there is something about the parts of the Torah that can only be done in the land. What are they? Sacrifices. Yes. This, this, this chapter brings in a lot of the places. You will take your sacrifices to the place that the Lord will choose. You will not be allowed to offer them anywhere else, which means if you're a good little Jewish guy and you happen to have packed up your family and moved to Lebanon because you're in the tree business and, you know, you're selling cedar wood to your local Israelis so they can build their houses, um, guess what you're not allowed to do in Lebanon? You can't make a sacrifice. What's your problem? Not in the land. <laughs> you know, you're not in the land, so you can't make a sacrifice. But, okay, guys, you know, put your little Christian hats on now. Okay, I know some of you might not want to do that. That's okay. But for a brief moment in time, let's, let's think. If you can't make sacrifices because you're living in Lebanon and that's your choice, what's your problem? Made the wrong choice. <laughs> you made the wrong choice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Get your get your sweet little honey back to Jerusalem. That's right. That takes care. How do you have fellowship and communion with with uh, with God? Well, you could you would have a Jewish community. And Jewish communities did. They formed mm -hmm. little little uh, parts of the cities that where they would congregate. A lot of the ancient world, just like today, we have you know. Uh, Italian quarters and uh, Chinatowns and you know, Indiaville, you know, we've got that. They had that too in the ancient world. And so you would get um, Jewish communities and there would be synagogues. There would be no blood sacrifice. Correct. You cannot have a blood sacrifice. Now, uh, now let's keep our little Christian hats on here for a minute. Um, if you can't have a blood sacrifice, what's your issue? Teshuvah is repentance, right. forgiveness. How do you get forgiven, right? Because the our usual mantra, which is also, you know, on, on one hand true and on one hand there's a bit more, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So if that's true, which it is, but if it's also true, on the other hand, why would you ever get out of Israel? Like seriously, you would. there would be no reason to go anywhere else other than staying around the mountain of God. And so, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Well, we've got a problem because obviously the children of Israel are going to multiply. Didn't the high priest, when he sacrificed for the nation, didn't nation. that in some, for the nations, didn't that some, in some way cover that? Right, so therefore, you know, you've only got uh, the priests doing sacrifices on behalf of everybody, so what do you have to do? Nothing. <laughs> right? And so on one hand, you had the high priest offering sacrifices for the entire world. That included those nasty Gentiles. Yep. And uh, all of them, especially at Sukkot, you had uh, an animal for every nation under heaven. But, you know, theologically, now put your little Jewish caps on. The Torah, these are the statutes which you will carefully observe when you're in the land. So when you're in the land, what will you do? Make a sacrifice. But when I'm not in the land, what won't I do? 
I want to make a sacrifice. Right? You never see Daniel have an issue with this in the book of Daniel. And you don't find Paul, when he's running around the communities in the book of Acts, you know, berating them all because they can't offer sacrifices for the remission of sins. It's not his, his uh, selling point. What he sells is resurrection. Correct. I will prove to you the Messiah resurrected, rises from the dead, and I know exactly who that guy is because I've seen him. Right? Uh, he, he met me on the road to, the, to, to Damascus and, uh, and this. So it's a very interesting thing that Moses says right off the bat. These laws, which I'm telling you today, you do them in the land. So when you're in Babylon, I get it. There's stuff you can't do. But when you get back here, you build yourself a temple and you start doing the, the, the system. But when you're not here, she's okay. Okay, so fast forward at about 2,000 years to present time. They don't do sacrifices now. Because, well, the sacrifice has already been made, but, you know. Correct. I mean, I know it's, they're going to rebuild the temple, it's prophesied, and they'll start sacrificing animals again. And, you know, however it's played out, I'm not sure how exactly it'll play out. But. Yeah. They don't do sacrifices. They don't do annoy all the vegans. Yeah, and, and it does. I've, I've been in some messianic communities in Denver, and they were very upset that that they were that we were going to have animal sacrifice again. Because um, you know, they're they're in love with carrots and things. Um, it's a good question. So the Jewish people understood that if I was outside the land, there were certain parts of the Torah I couldn't do, and mm-hmm. so the the. What Moses has been saying all through Deuteronomy is write the laws where? In your heart. In your heart. They, they be, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And all of Deuteronomy has been heavily focused, heart, soul. Never saying don't obey. He's always, he's always said, God has constantly said, follow my commands, follow my decrees. But the, the stress has been on heart and soul. And so... A, a lot of the intention of the sacrifice was also put on heart and soul. So you find in Jewish commentaries, um, uh, sacrifice without repentance is null and void. In fact, what you need is repentance. And so the constant idea of repent, 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 first words of Yeshua, Jesus out of the desert, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Last words of Jesus in Revelation, repent because I'm coming. Um, Peter in the book of Acts, what do we do? Repent. And, uh, and the same with, with, with Paul. It's a very strong Jewish thing. And here uh, in verse 1, we do have some statutes. We do have some judgments. They are tied to the land, which makes it a very interesting concept. Okay? That uh, even the Torah of heaven, parts of it only apply here. And uh, so there's a connection there. And, uh, and, you, and, and, and you do this in the land uh, all the days that you happen to, to live on the earth. Okay. Now... He, t- he talks about um, destroying the idols, yep. uh, places of uh, pagan worship. But mm-hmm. that also then is do that in the land. They're not responsible of getting rid of them in the whole world. So like when Paul goes to Ephesus, he doesn't even speak against Artemis. It's, she's not in the land. That's not his responsibility. Yeah, well done, Marsha. That was going to be my very next paragraph on my notes to say exactly the same thing. It's like, well, how much zeal do we have for the Lord? 
because there are, there are people who will take these verses and get quite zealous for burning and destroying all kinds of stuff. So let's read them. Verse, verse 2. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars. You'll break their sacred pillars. You will burn their wooden images with fire. You will cut down the carved images of their gods, and you will destroy the names of the places. Right? You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Okay, and uh, um, so yeah, there you go. Destroy the false religion. Okay, and that's a very good question, Marcia. How much zeal should we have outside the land of Israel? So if I was a good little Jewish boy and uh, I move into to Israel and we start to destroy all the altars and we set up the tent in Shiloh, but then I make a, a, a trip to, to Damascus for business, what am I going to see? I'm going to see pagan stuff. So what do I do with that? Do I smash it? Do I destroy it? <laughs> yeah, David's like, yeah, it's a rain down fire on those guys. Yeah, um, I'm in the hammer business. You know, I've got Thor's Thor's hammer, and, I'm, and you should just watch me go. Okay, um, uh, I don't know. What, what do you think, guys? How much zeal can we have? Because there's another character that had a lot of zeal for the Lord. Anyone remember his name? Ends up with his own covenant. Pinchas. That's right. Pinchas. Yeah. Pinchas. Pinchas has zeal for the Lord and he stabs a Midianite and an Israelite together. And God says, wow, look at this guy. This guy's awesome. He gets his own covenant and he gets the Brit Shalom, covenant of peace. Never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. No one even knows what that is. But you get a covenant of peace and it says for forever. Like not too bad. Um, so there's this family of Jewish people that have a covenant of peace with God forever because of zeal. So does that mean we all run around with spears and stabbing people? And because um, some people thought that way, and we've, and sometimes the church has behaved that way in the past, and sometimes the Jewish people have behaved that way. Um, everyone remember the Maccabees? Yep, the Hasmoneans, everyone, they gave us a really good holiday, several books uh, of the Bible and, and an addiction to donuts. So, I mean, really, what's actually wrong with a donut? Let me tell you, nothing. Okay, they're all good. Um, but they, they go... They argue also that um, Saul of Tarsus took his inspiration from that direction. Yeah, there you go. He got quite zealous, didn't he? Yep, and uh, but to stamp out this particular religion, not not other ones, but yeah, being zealous about the borders of Israel as he as they perceived it. Yes, as he perceived it. Yeah, and um, uh, and, and so the, the Hasmoneans, uh, the the Maccabees, they forced converted several nations. They went and destroyed a whole bunch of uh, false uh, 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 Gentile communities, uh, and they were quite cruel. And um, as, a, as a people group, um, which unfortunately led 
the build-up to the to the to what we find in the New Testament. We find a, a mixed Galilee where they have uh, invaded, um, forced converted uh, a bunch of people, and then moved people into the Galilee area to repopulate it, which is the reason why you find people from the tribe of Judah living nowhere near Judah, right? Because wasn't there like a, a lot of there was like a lot of maybe thinking in Paul's day about being a what they called a true Jew, i.e. living in proper Israel versus, um, I don't want to say, a, not really a false one, but a secondary Jew or something that lives like in, where like Paul is from, Sarsis, right. he had to defend himself because he was from the tribe of Jeb Benjamin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yes, so even though you were living outside the land, you actually kept your tribal allotment. People knew who their tribes were which is an interesting thought. Okay. Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. And, uh, and so when, when, when um, Paul goes to different communities in um, the book of Acts, he doesn't berate them for not living in the land. Right? His message isn't to the people in um, um, you know, Athens hey, Athens, you know, you really should pack up, hop on a ship and, and sail to Jerusalem. I don't even know why you're all here. I'll tell you the gospel when you're actually there, seriously. Um, it's, it actually isn't part of his, his message. In fact, he wants to travel all over the world to find uh, Jewish people and save them, um, all, all the way as far as Spain, which is currently uh, uh, in all kinds of trouble with, with anarchists as well. Isn't that right, Bernardo? Okay, so. Well, do you think that it was a temporary thing in the Hebrew Bible, God is concentrating on the sons of Jacob and trying to have nation of Israel become very godly, get rid of all the pagan gods. Later on in the New Testament, he will incorporate Gentiles and so on. But like in Deuteronomy um, 32, when he gives... Um, the Lord's portion is Israel, but then he gives the rest of the lesser Elohim um, the control of the rest of the nations. So do you think this could be like a temporary thing in the Hebrew Bible, God working with Israel? Later on, he expands to the Gentile world. And, you know, when that expansion happens, yeah, we need to get rid of the pagan gods everywhere. Right. Yeah, it could be. could be. Um, it's definitely in the land you can't have these things. There is something about the holiness and sanctity of the land, particularly where God's going to put his name. And as, as you're saying, Marsha, the holy people who have to reflect his character. Um, so the, the, these pagan, um, pagan religion is in high places, okay? Hills, mountains. It's also in low places. You end up with, with crops of trees and sacred groves. And, uh, and, there's a there's a the particular one in particular sentence burn them all including the Asherah the the Asherah poles. Unfortunately, um, this is something that the Israelites don't do, um, even though the commander would do it. Um, and uh, uh, Asherah actually becomes, as we've discovered in archaeology, the wife of of God, which is um, you know it's not always nice to think about, but one of the the, the big problems in the first temple period was syncretism. Not in the second temple period. The second temple period, they, they definitely got rid of idolatry. Other problems had crept in. But in the first temple period, 
there was a there was a lot of syncretism, which we see all through the kings. Um, and in in and in physical archaeology, we we find um, representations of God with his female female wife. Um, they sort of borrowed that that tradition from the pagans around them. Although they are told they are warned against this, and the, and, and and the way to get rid of it was to uh, to burn it. And also, not only that, just not only were you supposed to destroy the high places, the sacred groves, you were also to wipe out the names of those places, replace them. So when you went into another city, you should change its name. And uh, so what is one of the names of Jerusalem? Zion. Zion. Okay. It was, uh, Zion is not a Hebrew word. It was the name of the place. And uh, so when they capture it, what does David dutifully try and do? Call it the city of David. Yes, I've got a new name for this place. It's a really good idea that God has. We'll change it. And the new name shall be ooh, the city of David, where I shall live. Unfortunately... It was a long time on that one, I think. Yeah, right. it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, didn't, it didn't stick. And, uh, and Zion, the word, didn't leave the vocabulary. And, um, and, and eventually was reincorporated and absorbed. And we still have the names of ancient cities in this country. Yeah, name a few. Anyone know? What are all those Philistine ones on the coast? Right. Ashkelon. Ashkelon. Gaza. Gaza. Yeah. We, don't, we don't own Gaza, but, yeah, we do own Ashkelon. We do own Ashdod, and we've kept, kept those uh, names. Betshan. Betshan. Yes, that's another one, yeah. Even David had, had a few problems with this. He, he even, Hebron, do you ever know what Hebron's original name was? Kiriataba? Uh, no, the, the other one. Baal. Three. It was called Baal Hebron. Uh -huh. yeah, and uh, because remember, what's the name, of, what does Baal mean in Hebrew? Master. Master, yes, owner. So it was, it was, unfortunately, the syncretism came along and they started calling Baal. And there is a, one of the prophets, I can't remember which one of them, I think it might be Hoshea, one of them actually says, stop calling me Baal. That's not my name. Um, uh, in the, it's just a thing in the first temple period. We just, we just had that issue. Okay. But we are in the land, meant to get rid of this, most likely to purify the land, to make the land separate and holy, to make the people of Israel separate and holy, and to avoid syncretism. Uh, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. And so, so the worship of God of the other religions was in multiple places. But um, for God, God was going to do something very different. Yes, you could pray everywhere. Of course you could. Um, yes, you could congregate together and, and, and contemplate the Lord because Moses had said, contemplate him in the morning, in the evening. Talk about him as you're walking on the way. Discuss him with your children. You're not just going to do that. However, a centralized form of worship was what was required or, in this case, instructed. Verse 5. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. So that place you must go. All right. 
Anything interesting about that sentence? I'm, I'm wondering whether there was a, a, the Bible records a process to decide on Shiloh as the place for the tabernacle. I can't recall it. I can't recall one. Any idea, Arie? Is there a, is there a, uh, an obvious um, uh, choosing of Shiloh? I don't think, I don't think there, there, there is. Hmm. What, does, what does this sentence not say? It doesn't list Jerusalem. Yeah. Right, remember, what's not there is just as important as what is there. It doesn't mention Shiloh. It doesn't mention Jerusalem. It, it, it doesn't... It Aaron, doesn't yes. Wasn't there, like, the, the main Asherah temple in Shiloh? Yes, there was a Canaanite presence. Yes, you're right. Uh, and it was burnt down and shows the destruction level at that time period. Uh, very clear. They have an interesting little museum which describes it. Um, but they, uh, but Neville's, Neville's also right. I, I can't think of any uh, process where they decided this is the place where you will, you will build um, the tabernacle. So you are to go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Well, he chose two places. He chose Shiloh and he chose Jerusalem. Um, why Shiloh? Not sure. Why Jerusalem? There you go. There's another question. Who's been to Shiloh? Okay. Excellent. Anyone know uh, the topography of the area? It looks like a foot. Yeah, it does. Anyone know what else it looks like? Like Jerusalem. It looks just like Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah which is the footprint. Yeah. You've got Gilgal Argamon, and you've got five more of these footprints going up to Ebal and yeah. Gerizim. Walking all around. Yep, and then it goes to Shiloh, and the topography is the exact same, and then Jerusalem is the exact same. Yep. If you look yep. at it from a bird's eye view. From a bird's eye view. Yeah. And when you're standing, when you're standing on the site where they roughly say, or they think, is the area of the tabernacle, uh, you look around and you go, okay, well that's that's Mount Zion, and then there's the valley, and I can see. Uh, Mount of Olives in front of me, and I can look over there, and I can see a Monanatsib, and behind me, I walk up the hill back to Christchurch. They've got a nice tower on it now. Um, it's it's very interesting that the topography is very similar to to Jerusalem. So, Aaron, yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, verses twenty-two. Yeah, this is the this is the extra tithing where you can uh, eat and drink to your heart desires when you come to Jerusalem. Yeah. It also mentions that uh, every year you must take one-tenth of everything your seed produces in the field and eat it in the presence of Adonai your God in the place where he chooses to have his name live, you will eat the tenth of your grain and on and on. So was there more than just Shiloh, Jerusalem, all the places of the tabernacle? Um, when, he, sorry, Aaron. When when uh, David and Solomon were around, there was another place where they went to. I can't remember the name of the city where they used to also meet with the Lord. It was yeah. on top. Of, it was a main Gibeon. Town. Gibeon. There's the name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's um Saul sacrifices, uh, not in Jerusalem. Samuel Samuel actually instructs him to go and sacrifice 
somewhere else, uh, which is interesting. Um, um, but then let's have, we'll have a look at some of those other sacrifices and see if they are the, the same one. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah. uh, it says Shiloh is first mentioned in Genesis 49.10. Yep. When Jacob blesses Judah. Yes. Yes. And it's, and it's, uh, it's not the name of a place. It's the name of a person. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like uh, when, you, when you, for those that, if they want to, um, you can, there's an interesting discussion in the Talmud, okay, Jewish commentary, where a bunch of rabbis are sitting around and they're saying, hey, what's the name of the Messiah? And, and they'll quote all these different verses. And, uh, and one of them is Shiloh. They'll say, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. So obviously the name of the Messiah is Shiloh. And okay. they'll, they'll quote another name uh, in, I can't remember which prophet, but one of them is talks about um, until your rest and comfort, which in Hebrew, Menachem. Menachem. Menachem, yeah. And so, and so many, many, yes, many of the Messianic characters in, the, in history have been named Menachem, including the, the current Chabad guy, right? You know, if you want to be a Messiah, you better have one of these little names. It's like if you want to be a good Christian preacher, your last name better be Chuck, right? You got Chuck Smith, Chuck Swindle, Chuck Chuck Cop, Chuck everything. You know, um, that's just that's just the, the way it goes. Um, so, don't worship the God like everybody else. We're going to centralize the religion. Okay? There's going to be a special place that God wants to meet you. Um, all right. So what's um, what's uh, what's wrong with the tabernacle? Have they not already got? A centralized place of meeting. Well, the answer is yes, they have. And yet, for some reason, while it's wandering around in the wilderness, it doesn't seem to have the same drawing power as it does once they set it up in Shiloh. Is, is Aaron, sorry, a question. Is the, is the tabernacle not simply a... Uh, it's in motion. It's 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 in transit, as it were, until the final place. Could be, yeah. Even yes, it could be. Even though Jewish people already know as well that on one hand God lives in a certain place. There is this thing called the Holy of Holies and the and the and the, and the Ark of the Covenant. But when God says, "Build me a tabernacle," because I want to dwell, where does He want to dwell? With us. Yeah, in them. So it's like the, the, the tabernacle and the temple are like routers. They're like heaven and earth connect. And how do they connect? They connect with the router. They connect with the tabernacle and it spreads out. They connect with the temple and it spreads out. It connects with the land of Israel and it spreads out. It's, um, it is in motion. It is moving. And it is very special but also don't ever get away from the other side as you know, God wants to live and dwell with the people in, in, their, in their homes. However, there's a centralized religion. There's going to be a place. God's going to put his name there. That is the place you go. And when you do go there, what do you bring? You bring your burnt offerings. You bring your sacrifices. You bring tithes. You bring special gifts. You bring Free will offering. My gosh, you've got to bring a lot. You bring the firstborn of the herds and the flocks. 
All right. So you bring and your... Also, you... And I think it's very interesting... Sorry, Aaron. I, um, very interesting also in verse 12. You shall rejoice and also with your sons and your daughters. So the families. It's a family thing. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a family thing. It's going to involve joy. But first, before, when we get there to the joy bit, you're going to bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices. Those are different words. Olot and zavach. Okay, so the first time we read of, a, of an olah is actually uh, Noah. Okay? Noah makes an olah. And what's, what's so special about a burnt offering? A burnt offering is every bit of it is burnt. You don't get to keep a bit of it. Most sacrifices you divide up and part goes to God, part goes to the priest, and part goes to you. But for the burnt offering, you don't get any bit of it. This is you give the whole lot, uh, you know, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. The next time you read about the Ola, it's a person. Guess who it is? Isaac. Genesis 22. God says, take your son and offer him as an Ola. Right? Not just a, a, another type of sacrifice, uh, because there's quite a several lot, but a particular one, an Ola. Burn him up. Okay? But the whole dang lot. Um, you don't get to keep a bit. Every bit goes to me, okay, which is very interesting. Um, the, the, other, the, the, the other sacrifice you bring is a zavach. It's, a, it's the, the, uh, an offering. Most times in the Bible, it's connected to the peace offering. Okay? And a peace offering is something you share. It's, it's one, of the, one of the sacrifices you get to divvy up. And you also bring tithes, plural. Okay, you know that always scares um, scares the young millennials. They have to actually give something. Oh my gosh! Okay, um, it's a it's a plural, as well as gifts. Oh my gosh! You're not just giving a tenth. Okay, tithes are not church taxes. They're not things that uh, you know you you can go to church, but as long as you've paid your your ten percent, okay, you're not giving it to 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 uh, a person, I mean, you are, but these belong to the Lord and they are multiples there. Um, and, uh, and also free will offerings. So whatever you vow, okay, it could be anything at all. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's not clear what it's not allowed to be because you get that, remember that, that uh, scenario where that idiot says, I'll give the first thing that comes out the, my front door to God, and it ends up being his daughter, and you know, all kinds of issues. Nope. Yep, bit of, a, bit of a sad story, that one. Uh, and also the firstborn, because there was also that very interesting um, law in, in, in uh, the Torah that the firstborn from the womb belongs to God. Okay? That included children and included uh, your animals and uh, flocks. Although here, it, it, it doesn't say um, grains and things, but those are also part of the, the idea of the first. Don't forget and, that Cain did it wrong also. Yeah. Cain. Yes. That, that whole Cain and Abel thing is, is really interesting. 
because we have animal and grain sacrifices, but at the time that Cain offers an animal sacrifice, no one's allowed to eat animals. So what are you doing? You know, if, um, you, know you, you only yeah, supposed to eat vegetables. The question is, had they been given instructions on how to bring an offering to the Lord? That is a good discussion. There's no answer on it because the text is not clear. It just it just gives you the opportunity to say, why does Cain and Abel do this? Most likely because they have been instructed to do it, but it doesn't say how or why. Exactly. And, yeah. and Cain and then did the it question, his way. Yvonne? And then the question about Cain and Abel, I always had that. So I used to think, oh, one has blood, one doesn't. Yeah. So the one with blood, but then it's like, well, then one because it what was it the blood or because it was first fruits? So, but, <laughs> but that's a good question, Yvonne, and um, and Leviticus actually answers that for us. They're both first fruits. Yes. yes. Because when you when you bring an offering to the Lord, it says you can either bring from the flocks or from the grain. Mm -hmm. They both have the same weight. So if you're if you're a farmer. And you, and you grow wheat or you grow barley, your offering has exactly the same value as the guy who raised the sheep or goats, and, uh, that, which, is, which is a really nice thought. And so for Cain and Abel, it wasn't that one was grain and one was animal. It was the, the intention thereof, that one of them had given the best and the first, and one had not. And so... But but if, if they hadn't been given instruction as to what the best was with the animal, how was he supposed to know that? Or not? Correct. That's right. So it's implied, you're right, that they actually had instructions ahead of time, that there's parts missing that, you know, somehow God or an angel or Adam or somebody had had a discussion. Apparently. Yeah, had, had had a discussion and, and had figured out what to do. Um, but he did it his way. He did get any trouble for it he just was not accepted that's the only thing that happened it just wasn't accepted because he did it his way and then he got to do into things your way as, yeah. as opposed to the way god gives his instructions then bad things potentially could happen yeah. but does the text say that he did it his way what exactly does the text say it's just going to be implied yeah the text is so it doesn't it doesn't. The text is, is blank, and it creates fantastic discussions um, to no end. I mean, the, the, the Bible study on Tuesday, I think, is covering Genesis 1 to 11, which is pretty cool. All right. So, well, in light with us, the question then is they're supposed to be doing these sacrifices in the place that God shows them, yep. but we see Elijah sacrificing on Carmel. We see... Yep. Uh, Samuel going down to Bethlehem. So we see a variety of places um, after they're in the land. And so some people will say that this is a mark of editing later in Deuteronomy of that it's limited to the place God chooses. So what do you think about that? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but I will. Well done. You brought it up. There is the potential that an editor, okay, has had another a tackle at this. Um, Deuteronomy does show some editing, changes of words, uh, names of places, um, and, 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 uh, and one criticism or comment, not criticism, one comment about Deuteronomy is that during the Second Temple period, 
it just the one it describes them refinding a book. Sorry, at the end of the first temple period, them refinding a book. Doesn't say the name of the book. It just says the book, the sefer. And uh, the only book that's ever called a book is this book. Deuteronomy is the only book of the Bible called a book, right? Uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and, and so they made the connection. It was Deuteronomy. And, uh, and, and then there was some editing that was, that was done. Uh, could be. Um, they obviously didn't throw in the word Jerusalem or Shiloh. They could have. Um, so which dis discusses why have they not. Um, what we do know is that once the children of Israel cross into Canaan, everything goes pear-shaped. Even though they're instructed to follow the instructions, they end up not. They build more altars than just the one in Shiloh. There was altars and temples uh, constructed around the place. We do see prophets, kings, um, were offering, uh, making offerings and worship in multiple areas, constantly having to re-tear down the syncretistic worship that Israel keeps adopting with Canaanite practice. They just never get away. No one ever changes the name of stuff. Um, what's the name of the Sea of Galilee? Canaret. Okay. What's the name of the Canaanite goddess? Canaret. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. What they, they did it. They just, they just kept it. Uh, they, it they, they're told not to. But they do, okay? And um, it's just something that we see. So, does so this, uh, this has happened like after the death of Joshua? Like this happened after the death of Joshua? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joshua's, Joshua's invasion was pretty good in the effect that um, he, he kind of held the team together. Um, they didn't do everything they were supposed to, obviously. They, they don't recapture Dan. Um, they don't capture Jerusalem, although... The judge says that they did um, and set it on fire. Uh, it looks like that was a, uh, a bit of a boo-boo uh, when they put that in. Um, so you can make an argument that it has a lot to do with the leader. and Because even in throughout uh, the book of Judges, you see, you know, pray for they screwed leader. up. They prayed to God. He raised yeah. a righteous leader pray, up. They pray were delivered. For pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your shepherds. Pray for your presidents and kings. Because uh, you know the the people can rise and fall on a, on a good or a bad bad leader. Okay, so anyway, in terms of uh, the the sacrifices, got to go to the place where the Lord says, and in verse seven, there in the presence of the Lord your God. Okay? So not that He's not present anywhere else, but when you're actually in this special place, which has, it's not that God isn't in the Galilee, but it's just that somehow there's a, there's, a, there's a special presence of the Lord in this place, right? It's, it's on Sunday or any day, actually it doesn't matter, Shabbat, any day, I, I can worship the Lord in my house or I can go to a special spot designated by a community for the sole purpose of worship of the Lord and it's a special holy spot. Here, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families, that's right, Yvonne, it's a family thing, it's a family affair, it's not something that you do by yourself. God loves working with families, and, and we, all, we all love it too. We all love our families, we all love our, our, our kids. 
and uh, we want them to be part of, of that process. There's, not, there's, there's something special about worshipping the Lord with your kids. There is. There's something special. For those of us who are in a traditional uh, community, something special about having communion with your kids. Um, eating and drinking and rejoice. Basimcha. There's an emotion that's attached. In everything that you have put your hand to, okay? everything that your hands have, have made, everything that is a fashion of your skill, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Okay. So there's a couple of concepts there. Presence of the Lord. There's, a couple, there's eating. There's this, this notion of actually eating and, and um, fellowshipping. Okay. Um, and there's the, the element of joy. All right. So what's the question, guys? Presence of God, eating, joy. What's the good Jewish question? What's for lunch? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, there you go. Yeah. Falafels, man. That's why it's, it's always falafel. Yeah. It's um, why? Why joy? Out of Is all the amount eating and drinking with us. Sir? Any ideas why joy would be a, uh, an emotion? Is God eating and drinking with us? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. What do you think, guys? You think God's uh, partaking? Yes. Okay. Now, why would you say yes, Roddy? What makes you say yes? He says it. He loves the savory smell to start off with. We know this. You have it also in the, you have it in the temple and the tabernacle, right? The with the Levites. You also have the wedding supper of the Lamb. Yes. You have the wedding of Canaan. I mean, there's all these table feasts with the Lord, rejoicing, communing, and eating, and yes. it's what He wants at the end as well. So, it's from the get go all the way to the end. Yes ever, since, yes, ever since the beginning, um, there are many occasions where angelic beings come and fellowship with humans, and it always involves around food. Uh, there, was a, there was a mystical fire that would descend in, during the first temple that would burn up um, the, the, the burnt offering. And so there was some, somehow heaven connected to earth and consumed something, which is an interesting thought. And then that same idea that we're going to eat and drink in the presence of the Lord leads to the messianic banquet, leads to the marriage feast of the Lamb, where heaven itself says, oh, yes, let's come and eat together. Well, why do you need to eat? You're in heaven. Who knows? It's such a cool thing to do to eat. Even God himself likes to do it. Abraham brings yod Hey vave He brings him yes. the bread, the lamb, the cheese. And, and the Lord, God himself, however he does it, Yeshua, he consumes it. Yeah. Okay. So bringing into God everything that your hand has done. All right. So there's something about the stuff that you have produced that you can give to the Lord. So okay, let's work on that one. And that's linked with joy. Because it says at the end of that verse, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Okay. So let's unpack that. 
How has the Lord blessed you? Did you, you sit conquer, down? Conquered your enemies. Yeah, you've conquered your enemies. Okay. But in this case, you don't bring your enemies to God to burn up. What are you bringing? Your food. So you're thankful that the Lord has given, provided fertility and increase and a good harvest, and you share that with the Lord. Yes. So your blessing is increased fertility. Your blessing is a healthy crop. Who actually works the ground? But you do. So there's, there's God being generous, but God's generosity is not just you sitting on your couch and getting everything because God's your great sugar daddy and you doing absolutely nothing. Which he gives you the power to get well. It's just, it's the same. That's what you're saying, right? Well, the, the, power to get, sort of. the, the actual text says, right, you're, you've been blessed. Well, how have you been blessed? You, you shall rejoice in everything that your hand has produced, right? So, you know, what's that expression? If I forget the word Jerusalem, may my hand lose its skill, okay? The thing that God has given me, that'll disappear. So in God's generosity, God's generosity is you have now something to do. You have, which doesn't seem like being very generous, but it is. Um, you get your, your skill. You have the opportunity to work. Um, you have the opportunity to produce. You can create. You can fashion. You are made in the image of God. God is a creator. You can create stuff. Um, and, uh, and what you fashion, what you make, what you produce, what the, the sweat that, that you work hard, you, know, you work hard uh, at a job, you get some money, that's yours. But it comes from the Lord ultimately because it's a, it's a blessing. And so there's this co-relationship, which you see in Deuteronomy. Who writes the Ten Commandments? God and man, right? Who's going to conquer the, 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 the land of Canaan? God's going to go forward. You're going to fight the battle, okay? Um, right, you're going to, God is absolutely everywhere, but there's a special spot in the middle that we're going to be, be doing as well. So God is being generous. You're working, and in your generosity, you're going to give back, and now generosity is linked to joy. Right, uh, this sort of idea that uh, gen being generous, sacrifice, worship, and and the, and the um, emotion of of joy, and then of course the way um, that these these celebrations, these major festivals, are associated with just coming into God's presence, and He really wants that to be a, a concrete association. That coming to the presence of the Lord is a delight. Yes. Yes, there's, there's, there's something about the joyful worship of the Lord that, yes. And um, for those of us who do worship the Lord, I think we all will agree on the days where we have joy, do we not feel that we have been in the presence of God? Yes, we do. I mean, I know, I can, I, I'm 100% sure you all can, can feel the same thing with me. When you've got a, an incredible worship leader or whether you've sung your heart out and, you've, and, you, and you're so happy even just to hear the word of God, you actually somehow feel like you've connected to, to heaven. That, uh, as opposed to you went to church or you went to, to shul or you were in the community, you had a fight with your wife, you didn't feel so good, you had got a head cold. You, you, there was no joy in your celebration. 
So you didn't hear from God. You didn't feel like there was anything special. Um, so it's interesting that God says, come into my presence, bring your generosity, and be joyful. Basimcha, rejoice. And God will too, because there are verses, although I didn't write any of them down here, God also rejoices in the, in, over Jerusalem. He rejoices over his people. He rejoices over his inheritance. Uh, and in verse 8, I remember Bernardo made a comment about this in the, in, the, um, to, in the chat. You are not to do as we do here today. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Okay. So what does this tell us about the, ch the children of Israel in the desert? It's not, it's not really working for them. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, they've got the tabernacle. Yes. Um, we do have a centralized uh, hierarchy of high priests and stuff. We've had all kinds of incidences where we've offered false fire, things have swallowed up, we've had snakes, we've had plagues, we've done you know, fire from heaven. It's all kind of hunky-dory, but we're still not circumcising, we're still not celebrating Passover, we're still not doing a whole bunch of stuff very well, and uh, we're all doing what's right in our own eyes, and Moses says, that's going to stop. Right? That, that, what we've been doing for the last 40 years is not how we're going to behave when we're in the Holy Land. Okay? Once we're actually in, it's, we're going we're gonna to clean up our act. Okay, but the, the desert is typically in preparation for something else. Correct. So if the, de if the desert is not working, the purpose of being in the desert was so that the uh, disobedient could die out. And there had to be, and what else? Right. What was the purpose of the desert? A good question. So the, the implication is, okay, in, in, in its tone, do not do what we do here today, which means what we're doing is wrong. Okay? We're all doing what is right in our own eyes, picked up again by the book of Judges. And what was the answer? What's the answer to everyone doing what is right in their own eyes? Okay, something that Americans really, really, really don't like. Kings, right? What's the, 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 the idea is a king? And who, of course, should be the best of kings? David. Well, yes, David, God, right? The Messiah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Messiah, the Messianic king. There's, there's something about us as humans that when we're left to our own devices, uh, which we think is actual freedom and individualism, things go pear-shaped. And perhaps centralization isn't as bad as we all think. Um, it's not something that we like in much of our culture, often because human kings fail miserably. We just don't like the idea of one failed king after another. But that's not uh, what we're talking about. We're talking about a divine king, which obviously, therefore, would be... Uh, the best. Even the Greeks, in their wonderful wisdom, went this way. You know, the uh, uh, in, uh, is it Plato? Plato's discussion about which is the best form of government, and his 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 conclusion was a benevolent dictator. We'll we'll settle for democracy, uh, but but the best would be a really good benevolent dictator. Shame we can't get one, so we'll do we'll do um, senates. But that, was, well, that wasn't the um, preferred uh, uh, choice. 
Aaron, it's interesting that the, the Muslims, they look to the West yeah. and they, they say we're big time idolaters because, you know, we, one of the idol is, uh, is actually democracy. That was so interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's hard. What, 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 who's Winston Churchill's famous line? Okay. Um, what is it, Neville? Um, Democracy is the worst form of government apart from all the rest. That's right, yes. It's the worst form of government apart from all the rest. And it's un unfortunately true. Um, but it's, it's what we got. Uh, however, um, the model is we're doing everything wrong. This is not what we're going to do. And we're going to fix it up. And even though we do not have a king, Deuteronomy is going to give the king rules because Moses already knows, look, this hasn't been working. I've watched you guys for 40 years, not working. You are going to eventually need a king, so I'm going to, I'm going to give the king rules. And in fact, when you get into, Deut into the, the, the passage, the king only gets one rule, one. Okay. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but uh, when we get to it, we'll go, that's, that's his only rule. But it's a pretty good one. All right. Okay. Aaron. Yes. Can I say something real quick? I was just looking up this story about Daniel and Cyrus and the idol. Here in Spanish, it says um, Baal, but I guess it's Baal. Yeah. It's from the Apocrypha. And it, it details like how much food and drink they would offer up to the, to the idol. Yes, this is in uh, the Bell and the Dragon. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, one of the other three chapters of Greek Daniel. So it says it's 660 liters of flour. I don't know why it says liters, but 40 sheep and 130 liters of wine. That's a, that's a thirsty idol. Yeah. A <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and, it, and he, he, yes. And he, they were, they were, they, he tricked them. It's a quite an interesting story. For those that haven't read it, it's a, it is three chapters uh, in the Septuagint Greek Daniel. Fascinating study. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see how Daniel just make, proves incontrovertibly that idols cannot eat. Therefore, they are lifeless. They're lifeless. Therefore. It was bad news for those people who were doing the eating. Yes. But God's, but God could eat, because His sacrifices were were burnt up, which is very interesting, isn't it? Interesting. All right. So um, everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Not such a good thing. Uh, verse nine. Since you have not yet reached the resting place, and I know some of you made a few comments about this, and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving. Okay. So it's interesting that yes, the promised land with all its hope and its vision and its excitement and, its, and, and all of the things that you, you can think about because you're not actually there yet. But one of the things it's going to also bring is rest. It's going to have this. this but if you, if you say you'll be having rest once you get into the land, well, you are. At the same time, you're not. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to plant. You're going to have to sow. You're going to have to smash some idols. You're going to have to. It's it's. So, what does God? What does Moses, God, mean by rest? And some of you have already hinted it. So throw it. Come on, guys. What? Where are we going? 
Shabbat. Could could mean the the rest from uh, being a slave. Could be a rest, although they're not slaves. Uh, I mean, they're not slaves. They are still. I mean, they're not slaves to Egyptians. They're slaves to God. They do have the Sabbath. They've had the Sabbath ever since they got uh, Exodus uh, twelve, I think, um, and they've had it in the Ten Commandments. So they've had the Sabbath wandering around. We're going to have a Sabbath in the land. That's also true. Um, but uh, what are some of the other ideas? Some, somebody mentioned it at the start of the session. I can't remember who it was. The millennial Sabbath rest, the heavenly divine rest, the, the, the messianic expectation, the, the visionary rest um, that they haven't got yet, but they will get. And, uh, and, the, and the, this, this idea that every seven days you're going to remember you're going to physically do rest, but at the same time, there's always going to be that heavenly vision. Okay? So once you actually capture Jerusalem, it's great to have Jerusalem, but what do you need now to keep the excitement and the longing and the vision? You need a heavenly Jerusalem. It's great to have a temple. You can go to the temple. It's all very exciting. But you need something more. You need a heavenly temple. You need the, the, the idea of that I can see what's physically in front of me and I know that there's something bigger and more and better, this, this, uh, this, this thing that's still coming. And there's going to be a rest, but I, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a better rest that's coming. And that theology develops not so well in the first temple period, a lot better in the second temple period, and then starts to appear in the New Testament where it's really fleshed out in its messianic uh, uh, endeavor, book of Hebrews, uh, for example. All right. Um, so you will cross the Jordan, verse 10, settle in the land your God has given you as an inheritance, right? The land is an inheritance. The people are inheritance for God, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. And again, the, the implication as this is a, a duopoly. It's a going to be done in connection. God is going to do the fighting, absolutely, but you have to as well. God is going to give you rest, but it's going to happen because you've obeyed the Lord. So there's a, there's a, a, a dual part to play. Um, you can't just sit and let God fight all your battles for you. You partake in the fight too. Um, Eric, like the, uh, the verse from Hebrews where it talks about the Sabbath rest. Yes. Um, and this, um, this is Hebrews 4. Um, and he links it to the prophecy of entering into his rest. And so he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. It's a very profound idea, and it enormously extends the idea of rest. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The, and yeah. The, in, in terms of, you know, the, the, the resting in God's presence and not having to earn your relationship. Yes. That's, Yes. Because obedience is already there, but the inheritance, the rest, the land, the promises, the vision, the expectation, it's all part of the generosity that God is going to give. 
And then in verse 11, then the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And he does that several times, Shiloh and Jerusalem. There you will bring everything I command. And there are lots of sacrifices that are in Leviticus. So he could have said, and I'll just list them off now. But again, he keeps it to just a few. He keeps it to the olah, the burnt offering, the bit that is given entirely to God. He links it to the sacrifice, the zvach, which is mostly linked to peace, and the tithes that are in plural and gifts, and uh, and anything that you've vowed to the Lord. And and how do you bring it? You don't bring it because oh gosh, God told me to. I have to bring it because I'm, I'm sacrificing for sin, and if I don't do it, I won't get into heaven. No, bring it because of joy. Bring it in joy. And in that joy, you will feel the presence of the Lord. Do it as a family, as you're with sons and daughters. And not only that, bring the servants, even the people who are, who are slaves, the people who, are, who work for you. Don't discount them. They come to everybody comes. Um, and then lastly, God throws in one other people group. Who does he bring in? Levites. Right? Levites. So, you know, I don't know how the Haredi get out of this, but, um, right, the, the Levites got to show up too. And so they don't have um, uh, a territory allotment. They do have cities, which means they do have fields, which means they do have crops because they, they produce stuff too. They don't just work in the temple. They rotate. Uh, and so they also bring um, um, the part of the produce, the 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 Levites that serve in the temple must also rejoice before the Lord, uh, the work of their hands. Um, and, they, they don't, and so they're, they're part and parcel um, of all of this centralized worship. Uh, in 13, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please, right? which was the um, habit of all the other traditions, okay? that you, just, you wanted to worship the Lord, just walk outside and burn something. Um, but no, you have to make a particular uh, effort, which means that sacrifices are not done outside the land of Israel. Okay? And so the nature of sacrifice and their efficacy in, in cancelling out uh, sin without repentance okay, is, is, a, is, is up for discussion. Uh, you are, in verse 14, only allowed... To, to worship the place you choose from one of your tribes. At this point, um, doesn't even bother to mention, oh, by the way, it's Benjamin, <laughs> okay, if it's going to be Jerusalem or, if it's going to, or Ephraim, if, if it's going to be in the case of um, uh, uh, um, Shiloh. And uh, many of the northern kings came from Ephraim, and obviously the first king came from uh, Benjamin. All right. All right, guys, we'll leave it there for tonight. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.